Once it starts, there's no turning back. In the first case, there's no warning. In the second case, there's no escape. Even men who want to commit suicide will be unable to do so. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of the Revelation, we are actually spending time this week in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which lays out some groundwork for our understanding of the passage we'll be undertaking beginning tomorrow in Revelation 16, when the third set of judgments, the bold judgments, are unleashed onto the world. The topic of 1 Thessalonians 5 is that time known as the Day of the Lord. And as we pick up, Dr. Brogy looks at the various definitions of the word day as found throughout the Bible. Sometimes the word day refers to daylight. Sometimes it refers to a literal 24-hour day. But sometimes it refers to an extended period of time. Even in Genesis 2, listen to what Moses wrote. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Here, Moses is summing up the six days of creation with the phrase, in the day. We use it sometimes that way in English. We speak of the day of our youth. We don't mean that we were a youth for a day, but for that extended period of time that we were a youth, we use the phrase, the day of our youth. Even so, the phrase, the day of the Lord in the Bible, does not refer to a 24-hour day, but an extended period of time. But what is so interesting is that the day of the Lord mimics a biblical day. Some of you went with me to Israel last time, and in the, we, we had a Sabbath meal, and the Sabbath meal begins when the Sabbath starts. So with my family, we went to the, the, the hotel, the wall there, and, and the Jewish people were celebrating. Of course, it was the uh, magnificent celebration of there being a nation and the Jerusalem becoming officially their, their, their capital, at least in uh, our president's mind and the world's mind, some who oppose it, and a time of great, great celebration. And the Orthodox people kept looking up in the sky at one point. They were looking for three stars. When they saw those three bright stars in the sky, just everything went dead. Music stopped, dancing stopped. The Sabbath had begun. And it would go all the way for 24 hours until the next evening. So you see, a biblical day goes from sundown to sundown. And you know that even as a Christian, People say, well, how do you get a Friday death and a Sunday resurrection and count three days? Well, he died on Friday before sunset. That's day one. They wanted to get his body buried before the Sabbath began. Day two was sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And then on the third day, early Sunday morning, he was raised from the dead. Well, even so, as this slide shows us, you can think of the day of the Lord in the same way. The rapture of the church will take place, and at some point when the 70th week of the prophecy that Daniel wrote about, that is seven years long, that Paul articulates, that the Revelation explains, a seven-year period begins, and it's a 
dark time, and it gets progressively dark. We haven't seen anything yet. We've studied the seal judgments. We've studied the trumpet judgments, but the bowl judgments will just make you shiver. It will get so dark. But then Jesus will come back, and it's going to get so bright. It's going to be a magnificent day. He'll rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, the devil's been locked up, but we're going to see he's going to be loosed. And those who enter the tribulation in their natural bodies who will have children and children and children and children, some of their children won't believe. You say, how could they not believe with Jesus literally reigning on the earth? How could they not believe when he literally walked on the earth? It will show you how fallen we really are. It will be a magnificent demonstration of how gracious and kind God is in delivering us from our sin. And then it will get dark again for a short time. And then it will be a bright and glorious eternal day. And so the S-O-N is compared in the Bible to the S-U-N. And so it will be the day of the Lord. Now, we're looking at, in the Revelation initially, the dark side of the day. But when we come to chapter 20, we're going to look at the bright side of the day. Now, we're going to see at the end of 20 how it will get dark again. And then we'll see how it will be forever bright, never to get dark again, and the eternal state that God has prepared for. So that's the length of the day. In addition, I want us to think for just a moment about the lament of the day, the lament of the day. Lest anyone think that this day that is going to come is going to be rosy and cozy, they need to think again. It gets progressively darker. And when the church is raptured and those unbelievers are left behind, they're going to end up lamenting. They're going to cry. They're going to weep. And Paul said, to some degree, you should have known this. How would they have known it? He taught them. Where did he teach them from? Well, virtually the only scriptures they had at the time, the Old Testament. Maybe he read this to them from Joel 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord, that's what we're talking about, is coming. Surely it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There was, has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it to the years of many generations. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. God tells us there is never, ever, ever been a day like this. It's a severe day. Maybe he read Jeremiah chapter 30 that describes this day. Alas, for the day is great, there is none like it, and it is the time of Jacob's distress, but he'll be saved from it. Again, he's describing the first initial darkness of these seven years. Maybe he read Daniel 12 to them. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. There'll be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation. Until that time. And at that time, your people, the Jewish people, everyone who's found written in the book will be rescued. Listen to what Jesus said. He described it in the same terms. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days would be cut short. God said that unless he somehow intervened, no one on the planet 
could have survived this seven-year period. Now listen, to skirt around this is to spiritualize the Word of God. Jesus literally fulfilled all 333 prophecies for His first coming. And He is going to fulfill the prophecy for His second coming in the exact same way. And people may laugh and jeer at pastors like me that describe this coming day, but I'm telling you it is going to happen. Listen to Revelation chapter 6. Remember in the six seals, the first of all the cosmic disturbances in the universe happened, and the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide from us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Oh, we think often of the gentleness of the good Savior, but there's also the wrath of the Lamb that is coming. It is inescapable. In Revelation 9, 6, and in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death flees from them. Even a person who wants to commit suicide, as we've already studied, will be unable to commit suicide during this day. It is inescapable. Again, people may mock Jesus. They may use his name in vain and ridicule what he has said, but they are going to meet the wrath of the Lamb, lest they repent. Now, beyond the length of the day and the lament of the day, let's think for a moment about the language of that day, the language of the day. Again, here in verse 1, uh, Paul does not need to write to them about the times and the epics because he's already spelled it out for them. Again, he says, notice verses 2 and 3, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Now, just before this cataclysmic day begins to unfold, the people who are left behind because of the rider on the white horse, they'll be saying peace and safety. Everything's okay. Ah, everything's wonderful. We finally have the utopia, the one world union we've always wanted. And then suddenly, the second horseman of the apocalypse comes, and suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, they will not escape. I believe the nations of the world in many ways are unknowingly preparing for this coming time. They're trying to build a new world order. They'll be saying peace and safety, but then the wrath of the Lamb will come. And he uses two vivid similes to describe the day of the Lord. One is like a thief in the night, and then the other is like a pregnant woman. Now think about this. The day of the Lord is just like a thief in the night. When someone breaks into your home at night, and that's when they often do it under the cover of darkness, they don't send you a note and say, be ready, get your shotgun out because I'm coming at 3 a.m. No, they just show up. Well, the day of the Lord is going to come unexpectedly, suddenly. It's the first word in the Greek, sentence to underscore its suddenness. He's all of a sudden going to break into the day of the Lord. He is going to come like a thief in the night, but he is speaking not of us, 
but of them. Remember the pronoun in chapter 4 and verse 15, we shall all be caught up. But now here he speaks of them. He is speaking of the unbelievers who are left behind. Now notice the second simile he uses. First, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, but then he says it will come like destruction upon a woman in labor. While they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child in they will not escape. Now, it will come like labor. Now, think your way through this. Suddenly, all of a sudden, a woman, her water breaks and labor begins. So it happens suddenly. But on the other hand, it is very much expected, is it not? I mean, as soon as a woman finds out she's pregnant, she knows what she's going to meet in nine months. She knows labor is a coming. It's nine months away, and there's nothing that can be done. But just like a burglar suddenly breaks into your house at night, and just like labor suddenly begins, there's still some distinct differences between these two similes. The suddenness of a thief in the night is totally unexpected, but the suddenness of a woman going into labor is totally unavoidable. Once it starts, There's no turning back. In the first case, there's no warning. In the second case, there's no escape. Even men who want to commit suicide will be unable to do so. Now, that's the meaning of the day of the Lord as it relates to its length, its lament, and its language. Then quickly, let's just talk about the message of the day of the Lord. What is the message? He gets very practical and applicable beginning in verse 4. First, we're to wake up. We're to wake up. Follow along. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We're not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Now, real shift here. Verse 3, while they, but verse 4, but you. Now he's speaking to believers. He's speaking to us. And Paul is saying there's no need for true believers to be alarmed over the prospect of this day. Why? Because we won't be here. But with that said, the fact that we're not to be here is not to be an excuse as to how we should live. Listen, it's very interesting here what he says when he uses the word asleep. We're not to be asleep. Now, the word asleep that's used in chapter 4 is of someone who is dead physically. It's a different Greek word. The word that is used here is someone who is dead spiritually, someone who is spiritually out of it, someone who's spiritually lethargic. And we're not to be lethargic. We're not to be like a drunk man. We are to be alert. We are to be sober. We are to be ready. Let me ask you a question while we're here. If Jesus were to come and rapture the church right now, would he come during, when, when do you think he'll come? Do you think he'll come at night or during the day? What do you think? You don't have to answer out loud. Well, if he came in the next 10 seconds, it is daytime. But on the other side of the planet, it'd be nighttime, right? All right, so that's in terms of the rapture. But spiritually speaking, when Jesus comes back, will he come in the day for you or in the night? Depends where you are. Depends whether or not you've been born again and your eyes have been opened and you are living like a born-again person or if you're spiritually dead 
and like a drunken man. Look, follow what he says. We need to listen to this. So then, he says, we're not to sleep as others do, but we're to be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober. When do most people normally sleep? Well, you say they sleep at night. It's natural to sleep at night. And so indifference to the things of God is natural for the lost person. His heart is not on fire for the things of God. He is spiritually asleep. When do most people get drunk? Well, most people get drunk at night. That's when most people have their parties. And just as it's natural for the lost people of this world to get drunk at night, even so it is natural for lost people to be in a drunken stupor in terms of what is really happening theologically. A lost person today is as unstable theologically as a drunk man is on his feet. I think everything's fine everything's okay, and especially after the church is raptured and the man on the white horse who mimics Jesus comes, oh, finally at last we have the utopia that we've wanted. And then the wrath of God begins to unfold like a thief, like a woman in labor. So number one, we're called to wake up. We're not to be like the world. We're not to be in our spiritual pajamas. We need to know what is happening so that we can make a different set of choices. We are to wake up. Secondly, we're to dress up. Look at verse 8. We're to dress up. Since then, we are of the day. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Listen, there are two things you need to protect in these last days. One is your heart. The other is your head. And several times in Paul's letter, he likens a Christian to a soldier in the armor that we are to wear. And so first he tells us to put on the breastplate of faith. A breastplate would protect the soldier's heart. And you need an unshakable faith. You're not to be moved around by all of the changes that are happening in our world. You're not to be flustered and confused and say, what is happening? You need to have your mind in the Word of God so you can understand. Put on the, 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 the breastplate around your heart, but also, he says, put on the breastplate of love. There is to be love, certainly for lost people. I'm so thankful for some of you who've told me, I invited three people this week, Pastor, to Friend Day. That tells me you care about lost people. If you really know what's happening, you're not going to be so eaten up with your Facebook and social media where you don't even think about lost people. Priorities that God makes priorities will be yours. You'll have a love for the lost. You'll have a love for God. Listen, if you love God, you'll obey Him. And if you love God, you'll love that which He loves. And He loves His church. He loves His people. Don't tell me you're in love with the Lord and you're apathetic towards the local church. That's not what we are to be. But remember what is going to happen. Lawlessness, Jesus said, is increased. And most people's love will grow cold. The world is not going to get better spiritually. It's going to get more and more lawless like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. So you are to wake up. You are to dress up. Verse 8 says, but since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as the helmet, the hope 
of salvation. I hope you know by now that the word hope doesn't mean hope so, think so. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow on my day off. It doesn't mean that. It speaks of something that is sure and certain and absolute. So when Paul here speaks of the hope of salvation, he's not wondering whether or not these people are going to make it to heaven. He's already described them as beloved by God. He's already described them as those who will meet the Lord in the air. No, he knows they are believers, and you can know that you're a believer on your way to heaven. These things I've written to you, John will write, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you can know that you have eternal life. If you don't know that you know that you know that heaven is your home today, you should fix it before the day is over. The hope of salvation is not some wishful optimism. It is something that is sure and certain, and it's the future dimension to our salvation, because there are three tenses to salvation in the New Testament. We've been saved in the past from the peril and the penalty of sin. We call that justification. When God declares us righteous through faith in Christ. Right now, we're being saved by the power and the pollution of sin. We call that sanctification as God is shaping us and molding us into the image of His Son. But some glorious day from the very presence and pull of sin, when we get a new body like Christ, we call that glorification. That's the hope of our salvation. That is what we are looking for. Listen, we may not always know what is happening, but we know who is in control, and that's what Paul wants them to see, that God is not up in heaven wringing his hands, wondering what is going to happen. Listen, put on the breastplate of faith and love and the hope, the guarantee of your salvation. Finally, we are not only to wake up and to dress up, we are to look up. God wants us to look up. Look now, finally, at verses 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Now, the wrath that Paul is speaking of here is not the eternal wrath of God. Oh, that is coming. But he's speaking here of the wrath of the great tribulation period. It's been described that all the way all the way through the Revelation. Revelation 6.16, he spoke of the wrath of the Lamb. In Revelation 14.19, we studied the great winepress of the wrath of God. In Revelation 15, last week, we studied in them the wrath of God is finished. Next time, Revelation 16 one, go and pour out the seven bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And so Paul is reminding them in this context, if you've been saved, you're not destined for that tribulation wrath. We already read this morning, Revelation 3.10, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you out of the hour of testing. You say, that's a fantastic promise for that church. No, it's not just for the church at Philadelphia, but for Laodicea and Ephesus and the people at Community Bible Church, because he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says, not to the church, but to the churches. When Jesus comes to rapture his church, he is going to take us out of this world before the Father brings those seven years of judgment that for some will turn into the eternal lake of fire. 
Listen, before God pours out his wrath, he'll take his children out. Before a nation goes against another kingdom, it takes its citizens out. Before God sent the great flood, he took Noah out. Before God brought judgment, he took Enoch out, a picture of the rapture. Before God sent fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah, he took Lot out. God is going to take us out. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Listen, if the church is going through the great tribulation, we shouldn't be looking up. We should be looking around. We shouldn't be looking for Christ from heaven. We should be looking for any Christ from hell. Listen, if we are going to face the great and terrible day of God the Almighty, we can't say with the Apostle John, even so come, Lord Jesus. All we can say is, even so come tribulation so Jesus can come. Listen, there's no comfort in those words that Paul is speaking of if God has his church going through the tribulation. Now listen, let me ask you, are you saved this morning? Do you know that you know that you know? If you do, some of us need to get our heads out of the sand and get busy. Look, there's a difference between being ready to go to heaven and being ready to meet the Lord. There's a big difference. If you've met Christ as your Savior, you're ready to go to heaven. If you've put your confidence in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus to save you, you're ready to go to heaven. But are you ready to meet the Lord? You see, the Bible teaches that when Jesus comes back in reference to some of his people, and now little children, John will write, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. He's talking about saved people. Some saved people, when they see Jesus, they're going to shrink in shame. It's how I wasted my life. How I failed to invest my life in the things that really mattered to God. And they'll shrink in shame. But there'll be another group of people because they were unwilling to confess Jesus before men, proving they had never been born again. God will be ashamed of them and he will never confess them before the Father. Is that you? Do you know you're going to have and you say, Pastor, I want to know what do I need to do? You have to see that your sin, like my sin, is an offense to a holy God. You have to call it what it is. I spoke to a man recently. He said, I want to become a Christian, but I do not want to stop living with my girlfriend. I said, you don't need to become a Christian. You don't need a Savior until you're willing to call what God calls sin, sin. The Bible calls that repentance. Unless you repent, you perish. Unless you change your mind, what God says in this book and what he wrote in your human heart is evil. You have no need for a Savior. But if you come to Jesus with your sin, knowing that it's offensive to him, for him to forgive it and to begin the process of changing it, 
then you are ready to be saved. You need to come in simple, childlike faith. You need to call upon Jesus, for whoever will call upon His name, they will instantly and forever be saved. The Spirit of God will come to live inside of you. You'll have a birth from above. Your life will begin to change because you're a new creature in Christ. And when you die or when Jesus comes back, He'll take you straight up into heaven. Is that you today? is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. To listen again to today's study entitled The Great Day of God Almighty, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV42. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you can help or would like more information, call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow we begin our look at the bold judgments as we continue our study of the Revelation and search the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures.